All right, so um, Revelation 20, and we, we covered some of the material here about uh, what was taking place after the Lord's return. And so tonight, we, then we spent, I think, three, four lessons on millennium, and we talked about that because it's mentioned. And then tonight we want to uh, begin to sum this up. Uh, next week we'll talk about the White Throne Judgment. But tonight we want to look at the, the event called the Rebellion of Satan. You can call it what you want, but it is, uh, it's a strange thing. And again, some people's commentaries go absolutely berserk on certain things. And this is one where some people's ideas are absolutely not so. Um, I didn't say they are, I said their ideas are. Right? But um, so what does it say? How do we put this together? So let's look at this. We'll, we'll just read this section uh, starting in verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we, we see this one thing, and I um, want to back up to one uh, passage earlier in chapter 20. Um, look at verse 3. This is when he is placed into, uh, actually starting verse 2, and where he's bound in uh, the abyss. And it says, and he sees, that's the angel, sees the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, that's the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And then here's the phrase, after that he must be released for a little while. And so that little while is then what is spoken of there in starting in verses 7 and down. It's what we will look at tonight. I call it a season of rebellion. And this season, uh, the Greek word for season that you use there is chronos, which is a, a measure of time. It's just that we don't know the time, but God does. And he's only given a measure of time. And there is a, a, an agenda that he has, that God knows of, but he's only got a certain time to do this because God has already determined his end and he's written his end. And if he would have read the book, he wouldn't have started the rebellion. Um, no, that's not true. He would have done it anyway. That's his, that's his position. He is the opposer. He is the antagonist. He is the ad, uh, adversary. That's what Satan means. And that's, that's what he does. 
And so whatever God has determined, he is in opposition to. Um, that a person came to me one time and said, Would you just, I want you to pray, pray that the devil will stop lying to me. I said, he can't, that's what he does. <laughs> it's like, so whatever he's saying, just turn it around. <laughs> if he says you got this, then walk in freedom. Anyway, uh, she didn't appreciate it. So anyway, that... <laughs> The, the, the point being that he's just got a measured time, and we'll, we'll see how that is uh, fit into uh, this section tonight. Uh, the millennium was, was a glorious time. It was a thousand years. Now, some people were asking me again at the end of class last week, and so let me kind of clear some of this up. During the thousand years, we as believers are a different class of being than the people on the earth. We were saved during the church age, and at the rapture, we received a glorified body. You can go to 1 Corinthians 15, and, and Paul goes down the list there and, and gives a number of things about our body. Uh, it, our body is going to be incorruptible, which means it cannot be subject to change. It's, it's immortal. Uh, it is not just unchanging, it is never-ending. And so there's a whole different being to how we exist. So during the thousand years of the millennium, we're not subject to all of the law that the people that are living on the earth have to live by. And so that is, it is the Jewish age. It is the, it is the pinnacle of the Jewish age where the law will be enforced and it will be enforced by Christ, by David, the prince sitting on the throne, by the, the uh, leaders of the Jewish tribes, by the 144,000 who uh, have received uh, their glorified bodies, it will be done for all of those who are uh, of the church. We will have this position, and I, I don't know how to describe it. I, I don't how to describe what we're going to be doing. Um, we're not, you know, going to be flying around like little cherubs, you know. <laughs> but you might think I've been working on that that look, you know. Anyway, but. Um, <laughs> So we're not going to be little cherubs flying around, but we're not, we're not angels. We're glorified man. And, and we have a separate identity, and it's a glorious thing. What we will be doing during the millennium is wrapped up in like five words. We will rule and reign with him. Rule and reign with him. Is that six words? Five, six, three. Anyway, that's it. That, that's all we know. <laughs> that's all that's told us. There's nothing in the Old Testament that describes how the people on the earth are going to live, what the temple is going to be like. It describes uh, how they are going to exist. It has nothing to say about us because they didn't know us. They didn't know there was going to be an us. And so we are in this class. And so as the millennium comes to an end, the earth has been a beautiful place. God restored all of the beauty and all of the life, um, all of the, 
what was ruined by the fall, God restored it. And so for a thousand years, the earth is this absolutely beautiful paradise. And it's going to be incredible, and we will be able to witness that. But the people, not so much. Because the people that entered the millennium, I've said before, they were all saved. They were all believers. They had accepted the Messiah during the seven years of the tribulation. And they enter into the millennium alive, but mortal. Longevity has been given to them, but they are not incorruptible and they are not immortal as we are. They have not received glorified bodies. Their bodies can die. Their bodies will age. A child that dies at 100 dies as an old man, right? So it will be restored back to that time. Adam lived 900 and, uh, okay, I said that backwards. A person that dies at 100 dies like a child. Anyway, okay. So, but um, Adam lived 939 years. Methuselah, 969. Yeah, so they lived almost 1,000 years. So it's going to be pretty incredible for the people that are living, but they will be subject to the law, and they'll be subject to the severity of the law. And, you know, how much of all of that gets uh, reestablished, God knows, and we will know, because we will be enforcers of the law. You wanted to boss people around in life? Wait till the millennium. Get a thousand years of bossing people around. Now, don't think of it that way. But the point is, we're we're helping this earth, but the people have not been changed. So they still have sin nature. Every person born in the millennium has the sin nature. We do not. During the whole millennium, our sin nature has been taken away it's gone we're recreated in his image and likeness we are uh, filled with life we have been made to be like him and uh, changed into his own uh, glorious image so that's how we will live but the people on the earth not so much now, can they believe? Can they accept the Messiah? Yes. Should they accept the Messiah? Yes. But do they have to accept the Messiah? No. But they better bring their sacrifice, and they better do something to keep themselves within the law. How that will be enacted all around the globe of the earth, I have no idea. All it says is all the nations will come. All the nations will bow down. All of the nations will. We read some of those passages last week. You can read more of them, especially read Ezekiel chapter 40 to the end, 48. And that's all about the millennium. So what happens at the end of the millennium? God releases Satan for a season, a measured time. God knows the measured time. He knows how much it's going to be. 
And during that time, it will be shown that man, without regeneration, is the same rebellious person that he was before the millennium. He's just 939 years old or whatever, all right? And so there will still be that opportunity. And when the opportunity is given, multitudes, I'll, I'll have to say millions of people will go with Satan because it says that the number is as the sand of the sea. That's an incredibly big B. So this is what's going to happen. A perfect environment doesn't prevent sin. God's going to establish a perfect environment for men to live in. There will be no need. There will be no poverty. There will be no hunger. There will be no, no sickness or disease. And yet, there's still rebellion in their heart. And they're just waiting. They're obedient, but not of faith. You know, we talk about faith and obedience. Through faith and obedience, we receive the promise, right? Faith and obedience are important principles, and they go hand in hand. But you can be obedient without having faith and find yourself up in hell. But of faith, that's what God wants. And faith should produce obedience in us. So let's take a look at this, the first section. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So this is no little rebellion. This is a big rebellion. And this is led by Satan. So the first thing it says is when the thousand years are ended. I want to talk about that word, are ended. Uh, because it's important that we understand that they didn't just run out of time and they didn't just stop. They're ended. And that's an important, the Greek word that's used here is the same word that's used when, uh, it's the root for the word that's used when Jesus cried out, it is finished. It's the word that's used in Romans 10:4, where it says Christ is the end of the law. And it's the same root for this word, teleo, T-E-L-E-O, teleo. And the idea of this word is a, a goal has been set and you have reached the end of everything that that goal required. All right, so teleo has to do with a goal that is set. And to use this word means I've reached the end of it. I didn't just stop along the way. I reached the end. I got to the end. And the best illustration I can come up with, and it's not good, but it's like a football field. And you have crossed every yard marker, and you've reached the goal line at the other end. You have teleo, completed, ended, finished. You have finished what was required. And so the idea of the word here is, is this. Satan's 
been chained and sealed in the abyss. It's like the dungeon house. It's, think of it as like one level above the lake of fire. Right? No one's been to the lake of fire yet, but they will be. And um, that's just going to happen. The false prophet and the beast have already been cast into the lake of fire. And uh, Lucifer is going to join them uh, in, in this period of time. So he's been sealed in this abyss so that, so that what was the phrase it used, so that he could not deceive. That's his, that's his work, to deceive. He deceives by lying. He deceives by intimidation. He deceives through fear. He deceives through manipulation of, of the words. Think of, think of what he said to Eve. God didn't say. Well, part of what she said, God did say. And part of what she said, God didn't. God didn't say you can't touch the tree. He said not to eat of the tree. But it had not been communicated to her properly. And so in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, where it's talking about man and woman, it says Eve was absolutely deceived and that's the greek word that's used there she was absolutely deceived adam was not deceived at all so adam stood there knowing exactly what was to be done and what the outcome would be she had been deceived into thinking it was one thing thinking that this would be the outcome and that's the problem with adding to the law when we add rules and regulations that are not in the Bible, and then people violate the rule and, and nothing happens, and then they violate the next one and nothing happens, and it's just like telling your child, you know, one more time. Well, then make it one more time. Don't make it three more times one more time. All right. Says Jeff, who has no children. All right. So... You know, the, the thing is, you know, we can't, we can't set a fence so that they can't get to the fence, so they can't get to the next fence, so that they can't get to breaking the law. And so that's what happened, and Adam was the first to do it. So when the devil, knowing that, said, God didn't say, here, touch it. And what did she do? She took the fruit and did not die. <laughs> well, I guess everything God said was wrong. And so that's what happens when we add to the scriptures. You think, what's the problem with adding to the word of God? Exactly that. It doesn't produce. And so when we are speaking the word of God and when we are giving prophetic words or when we are telling someone what's in the word, do your best to make sure you tell them what the truth is. Because if you tell them something that's not, and then that doesn't produce, then it causes them to doubt the rest of the word of God. And I know your intentions might have been good. So were Ananias and Sapphira. Well, their intentions I don't think were good from the start, but all they did is, all they did is exaggerated their testimony. All right, I'll back up from that. Let's just, okay, just... So, so what does it say? 
It says when the thousand years are ended, they didn't just stop. God didn't just stop them at the end. They were ended. In other words, everything that the millennium was supposed to do has been done. They are ended or completed. We could say finished, but that kind of leaves a little bit of the darkness. I, I like to use the word completed. When everything the millennium was supposed to produce, was supposed to do, is done. They'll end. Right? And that's going to be, what, a thousand years. And so when they are ended, and the, the Greek form that's used here is a, is a passive form. I know that doesn't mean a lot right now. But what that means is the years didn't stop it. It was impressed upon them. Somebody else ended them. And, and so the years didn't just run out or time didn't run out, or people didn't say, you know, we're really, we're really tired of this. And so we took a poll, and we voted that the millennium should end. No, it didn't happen that way. They had no part in this. It's a passive voice, meaning God alone had to do this. He ended them. So it's active for him, but it was, on the earth, it was received, all right? And it will happen as scripture said. So all those things that are written back there in Ezekiel 40 through 48 that seem strange and bizarre and, and like, really, is that really going to happen? All of those things that it says are going to be, they're going to be. Because that's part of what it means that they are ended. Everything that was supposed to be has been. And that will have been completed. And so it has reached this established end. Um, one man's Greek, direct Greek says, whenever these years are finished, whenever they are finished, because we have no idea. We know that it's a thousand years, but when is that going to be? When is it measured up? When have everything been completed? And the time and progress will be accomplished. And so um, this outside force that is the one that is ending them is also the one that established everything that was going to take place. So all these things that it said that would take place uh, were established by this outside force. Who is the outside force? God. So this is his sovereign demonstration. I have set this. He sets this. Um, how long will this season be what does it say it's not it's not part of the thousand years thousand years are completed then comes the season and we don't know how long that season is all right is that is that clear so if this is now we're at a thousand years plus so we've moved on beyond the original thousand years this is what god wants to to do uh, in bringing forth now the completeness of his other plans the millennium has been completed the tribulation was completed the church age was completed the law was completed christ is the end of the law is a means of righteousness all right so those things have been 
completed that there's going to be this season. And it's a measured time known to God. And how long he will have, we don't know. Does he know how long he has? I don't think so. But he's about doing what he does. All right, so top of your page two, uh, it says then he will be released from his prison. When this millennium is completed, finished, everything is done, then will be this release, and he'll be released for a season. The Greek word for released actually is the word loosed. Uh, it's the same word that's found uh, consistently when it talks about someone uh, with a demon, and they will be loosed. And so um, this, again, is a passive voice verb, future tense. Future tense means it hasn't happened, but it will. So in the Greek language, future is certain. To us, future is uncertain. That's just the way we think. So for us, the future is uncertain. When God says future, he means it will be. It will happen. And this will be done. He will be loose <clears throat> for this season. Uh, the word loose comes from the word uh, to destroy or dissolve, um, to free. Some translations just put that in there, will be freed. Uh, some say released, as the ESV says. Um, the basis of, of this word, luo, means to, uh, in a sense, to cut what is holding everything together? So you're going to think of think of a sweater, and you know if you cut, break a couple threads, it does what? It starts to unravel. It will just start to unravel. Everything starts to fall apart because you removed what was holding it together. So that's where we get the word loosed out of this. Luo is the Greek word. It's also the root for the word to wash or to clean. Because when you add soap or some kind of agent to your hands, the dirt that is on them is what? Loosed. Whatever is causing it to stick to you is loosed. And so when we worked, you know, in kids and we worked in the garage or whatever, we had this goop. I mean, I had cans of goop. Right? You know, and so you have this can of goop, and so uh, yeah, Bill had a, a auto mechanic shop, and so yeah, he knew what goop was, because you put that on, and then you wipe it with a towel, and wow, that's pretty pretty cool. Uh, so, what's going to happen? He's going to be loosed. But remember, God is sovereign, so He has determined what He can do. And he's set what he can do. And what Satan is able to do is not anything he wants to do. It is what God has determined that he can do. And um, that has been set. All right? So this is a certainty. And so what happens is it says he will be released and he will come out. Uh, not escape. He's not escaping anything. God opened the prison. God removed the seals. The, 
chains that were binding him. God granted him access to come from the abyss out into the earth. And so now he is come out. And so the idea here is that uh, he is re released from the things that held him. Now he can come out. And he has a purpose. But his purpose, again, is limited. And this is not the first time that Lucifer has been limited. Lucifer wanted to do what? We go back and read the story in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Just remember, 14 and 28. All you got to do is remember the book. All right. So Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. And you go back and you read the story um, of Lucifer's fall. And so uh, in there, he determined he was going to build his throne. He was going to put his throne above God's throne. He was going to do all these. He's going to exalt himself. Um, I've got all of this. Look how wealthy I am. Look how powerful I am. Look how I have all these things. I'm going to put my throne above God's throne. The thing is, he just thought it. It says he said in his heart. He didn't even speak it. He just thought it. And God said, not. <laughs> That's it. No. And God cast him down. And two times in Isaiah, it talks about him being cast into the earth. He was cast out of the mountain. He was cast out of the very presence of God. He was cast down into the earth. And so, what is, how does Jesus say it? I saw Lucifer fall as lightning. And so there was a casting down, and that is described in Ezekiel. And so I put some references there, Ezekiel 28, 16, 28, 17, Luke 10, 17. So in those passages, it talks about him being cast down. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. It wasn't up to Lucifer to determine uh, the things that he wanted to do. He was cast down, and he was locked into an assignment. Now, that assignment was that he could roam the earth. And so we read uh, in Job chapter 1 and 7, God called all the angels, it says the sons of men, and called them to him. And so they were all there before God in uh, Job chapter 1. It must be like a weekly meeting or monthly meeting. I don't know how often God calls all the angels. Anyway, he gets them. And uh, God looked up and there's Lucifer. So I, didn't I cast you out? No, God already knew that. So if God cast him out, what's he doing there? Why, why was he there? Somebody tell me. Adam. Adam gave him access. God cast him out. Adam's fall gave Lucifer access. And so now he's back in heaven. And so God doesn't seem to be surprised. So in the story of Job chapter 1, it says, and he looked over and he says, and he saw Lucifer. And he said, so where have you been? What have you been doing? Now, I mean, when your mom asks you, what are you doing? She already knew. She's not asking for information. She's asking for a confession. Where have you been? So God knew exactly where 
Lucifer had been because he's not surprised when, when he does mention it. And he says, oh, just, you know, roaming to and fro in the earth, just going here and there. And my mom said, where you been doing? And um, it's like, oh, just riding around town on my bicycle. <laughs> yeah, and other things, and, which you don't need to know. But um, there were other things. Lucifer said, I'm just roaming. Isn't that what he has been assigned to do? Be alert for Satan, your adversary, roams about seeking whom he may devour. So he's looking for an opportunity, and that's what he was doing. And as Brother Hagin used to say, uh, the one thing you can say about the devil is he does his job and he does it good. You know, and so that's, that's what he does. He's a consistent old cuss. That's how he, how he used it. Ephesians chapter 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. He rules this earth. And so he has authority in certain things. Who gave him that authority? Adam did, but God allowed it. All right, so we have to accept that God allowed what Adam released. And so Adam released this, and uh, Lucifer has this opportunity. But he's also bound from things. Lucifer couldn't mess up the messianic plan, no matter what he tried. He couldn't change God's purpose and plan for mankind. He couldn't change God's plan for him. <laughs> it's in the book. There's nothing he can do to change the plan. It's going to be. All he can do is be a participant in his realm. It's, it's, it's like when I used to run track, and I mentioned that the other day, but some of the tracks we went to, uh, we had to stay in our lane all the way around the track. And so we were staggered all the way around the first curve. And you run a quarter mile, one lap around, uh, it seemed like you were running on your own, which can be a challenge, because if you don't know where the other people are, you don't know how fast you need to run. And so sometimes you're not running fast enough till somebody gets close to you, but they're on an inside lane, and they got a shorter track, and at first they were just next to you, and next thing you know, they're 20 yards ahead of you. And so you have to be aware of that. And so it was stay in your lane. Lucifer has a lane that God has allowed. There are things he can do. There are things he cannot. And when he's released, it's the same way. He has an ability to do certain things. He has the allowance, if I could use that word, to do certain things. But he can't do everything. So what is he allowed to do? Down the bottom of your page two. Number one thing it says is he's allowed to deceive the nations. Well, that's what he was doing before. And that's why God locked him away so that he could not deceive the nations any longer for a thousand years. Right? And so now he's back out to deceive the nations. The word deceive comes from the word uh, plana, plan, planeo, right? And planeo is our root for our word plane, P-L-A-N-E. A plane, not the aircraft, but a plane is something that um, is, is either parallel or, what's the word, it's not parallel, it's 
Anyway, opposite. But a but a plane can also be something that is just a little bit off. And if you're just like a half a degree off here, then in a couple hundred miles, you're way off. And so plan A is the root for our word planet. And the planets in the Bible are referred to as wandering stars. They didn't know them as planets. They didn't know that, that they were planets. They just they thought they were, they were stars. But they were not in the same place. They weren't there. There were nights when they weren't there at all. The constellations, you could see them move. All right, so you know the Big Dipper. Uh, but sometimes it's here, and sometimes it's there, and sometimes it's upside down, and it's over in this part of the sky, or it's in that part of the sky. But it's still always in the same form. Never changes form. Except every once in a while, there's another star that seems like it moves through it. And it's in the middle of it. And it's like it wasn't there last night, but it's there tonight. Well, they call those wandering stars or planetes, planets. And false teachers are referred to as planetes because they're not where they're supposed to be. They're not in the place they're supposed to be. Jesus held in his hand, Revelation chapter 1, he held in his hand the seven stars, not planets, seven stars. And the stars were the churches. And so that is a measure of them being established in a place. The teachers, the leaders. Um, Daniel talks about uh, the, those who teach the word of God are like stars. Uh, and so they are in the right place because they're teaching the word of God. But there's a lot of people that don't want to teach the word of God. And so they are deceiving people, leading people astray, because they're teaching, yeah, but not. And it's just a little bit off, but down the line it's going to be a lot off. And so what does Satan do? He doesn't come along with $7 bills. He comes along with counterfeit $100 bills. He's not going to try to pass a $300 bill. It's worth more. There was a report I read in the, in the news. Some lady had a million-dollar bill that she had somehow created and went to Walmart. It was, it was actually in the news. Uh, this was not, you know, on, on uh, one of those grocery aisle books, but um, magazines. But anyway, it was it was this lady, and she tried to, to give them a million-dollar bill. First of all, there are none. Second of all, you could buy the Walmart store. Um, what did you want them to do, cash it for a $5 candy bar? <laughs> I don't know. But what does it say? He's, he's going to deceive the nations. Some of these were ready to be seduced. Others are going to be seduced because they're not careful. And so when you read about false teachers, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus especially, where the idea of false teachers comes about, you read that there are, there are teachers who 
are wrong because they didn't study proper? Or they were taught wrong? And so what do they do? They just continue it. But it's still wrong. It's still deceiving. There are people who are, are wanting to teach something different and leading people astray. And then there are people who are demon-possessed, who are doing everything they can to destroy the work of God. And so these three different degrees of deceiving, and Lucifer is behind all of those. And one of the things it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is people give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines taught by demons. You know that verse? Well, the word seducing spirits is deceiving spirits. It's this same word. It has to do with that which seduces. Now, in, in reality, you cannot be seduced if you don't want to be. If you want to stay with the truth, you can stay with the truth. If you want to stay committed and faithful, you can stay committed and faithful. Or you can be seduced. You say, well, it's not my fault. This, you know, this person seduced me deceived me well were you looking to be deceived were you looking for something different something new and so that's what he's going to do with the nations he's going to try to get them to join him it doesn't happen with all of the nations but it happens i believe with a significant number a number larger than what we normally think what does it say in that verse? To deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. So uh, the use of Gog and Magog kind of takes us back to the account in Ezekiel 38 and 39, but this is an altogether different battle, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Gog and Magog, uh, one is the nation, one is the, the leader. But the, to the point being that any nation, any group of nations who are not bound to follow the rule of God fit into this class of Gog and Magog. Although there may be actual groups of people by this name, actually it's anyone who is not wanting to follow and is, is directly opposed to the things of God, given themselves over. And so were they deceived? Yes, but they know they're being deceived. They know that what they're doing is wrong, and they're going with this because it's popular. You teach false doctrine by just teaching what's popular. But it's something that's new, something that makes you known, something to get you acclaim or attention because you're teaching something different that nobody else is teaching. There were false teachers who didn't want to be identified with the Apostle Paul, so they taught something different and ended up being false teachers. So the, the thing is that this has to be something that uh, is, is coming because of the shallowness of their profession of faith. Yes, they're living in the millennium. They're living in a perfect world. 
I mean, basically, as far as nature and the earth is concerned, it's perfect. It's a perfect environment. It's perfect climate. It's perfect with everything. You got a thousand years to live in this glorious, wonderful earth. But that's not enough. And so in their hearts, they hold this rebellion. They can't, can't do anything about it because if they try to start a rebellion during the thousand years, it's put down. First by believers and then by the Lord. And so it is quickly ended. And so in all of these passages, we find this opposition. Now, top of page three, I talk about this issue of Gog and Magog and that this is not the same battle that's mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39, although the two nation, the two names are mentioned there, Gog and Magog. But it's two different battles because of the, of the description of what the battles consist of. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, it was these Gog and Magog coming against the nation of Israel. And they come in, and they have this battle, and, but God comes finally and delivers Israel. I'm condensing a lot. And he delivers Israel and then they spend seven years collecting all the spoil, um, takes them months just to collect all the dead bodies. And so all of this happens, and Israel is brought to this, this beautiful place. Now, when exactly that battle takes place, I'm still trying to figure that out. But I believe it's toward the end of the tribulation. That's, that's, that's where I can see it to fit. Some people think it's before the rapture. I don't know. One thing, it's not this same one. Because a thousand years separates the first Gog-Magog battle from the second Gog and Magog battle. And in this battle, it's not just Gog and Magog, it's nations from the four corners of the earth. So this is a worldwide um, advance against um, the purpose and the plans of God. And so this is, uh, it's almost like another Armageddon. And so all these nations from around the world, and what does it say about the number of them? Uh, they're like the sand of the sea. So Lucifer, Satan, being released, he was given this restriction, deceive and gather. That's what he can do, to deceive and gather. And so that is his purpose and his plan. And so he deceives these people and he brings them in. Um, one of the reasons that this battle is different is because the armies in Ezekiel 38, 39 come from the north, whereas in this battle they come from the four corners of the earth. They come from all around. Um, the battle here involves a, a tremendous um, demonstration of God's power. What does it say at the end of this battle? That the power of God, the power of God came out and did what? Consumed them. There's no seven years or seven months or whatever of collecting bodies. There's not bodies. They are consumed in a moment. It's done. It's over. And so in this one also they came against the city, Jerusalem, whereas in the other one they came against the nation, Israel. All right, so what is he doing? Why, why does God allow this? 
Why even have this deception? Wouldn't it be better if all those people that were living you know, on the earth at the end of the millennium just got to go right into the new heaven and new earth? Just, just bring them right in. They're happy. Uh, they're enjoying life. Everything's going good for them. Can't we just kind of just move them all in? No. Because God doesn't want um, oppression as a means of salvation. You're not saved because you're forced to be saved. You're saved because you want to be saved. It's your desire to give yourself to God, to accept Jesus Christ as Messiah. Mm -hmm. And although he will be physically present during the millennium, physically present during the millennium, in his glorified state, of course, this is no one you're not, not going to nail him to a cross, right? So he's, he's gloriously present on the earth. And David is right there with him in this glorious city of, of Jerusalem and all of this wonderful thing that are going on. Why wouldn't people want to believe that? Why wouldn't they want to accept that? Because all these people still had a sin nature. They still had the ability to rebel, to sin. As far as us, the church, having gone through the rapture, that will fully be gone. We will have no rebellion because there will be no sin nature left in us. We will be fully glorified. But this gathering of them together um, was a way of God showing, demonstrating that man cannot be coerced into salvation. It has to be something that people want. And when you give people an opportunity, they rebel. When you give them the opportunity, they will uh, choose to um, make their own choice, to live by their own way. Now, the next section down, uh, conclusion part here is just verses 9 and 10. And, and the, the thing I saw as I was reading through this and the thing that hit me are these five conjunctions that tie all this together. And, and God, in basically in a sentence, says everything, joined together by these five conjunctions. So if you look at the bottom of your page, uh, two and then on into page three, um, or page three and page four. It says in 20 verse nine, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Well, the camp of the saints is all of the believers who are gathered around Jerusalem. They're there to do what? To worship. They're there to to offer sacrifices, as strange as that is to us, to offer their sacrifices and to glorify the Lamb who's sitting upon the throne, to honor their Messiah, who was the true Lamb that died, not the one that's on an altar. And they recognize this, and they know this, and they're worshiping God. And this has to be a absolutely glorious spectacle. Beyond anything we could imagine, all these saints. And now these are mortal men and women 
who have recognized the Messiah and are glorifying God with everything that is in them. All right, so that is what it means by the camp that is around the city, the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And so these armies march up against them. And they're coming from where? The four corners of the earth, and they are like the sand of the sea. This is a huge amount of people that are marching against God and coming against what he has done. But, sometimes that's the most beautiful word in, in the scriptures, but fire came down from heaven. That's it. Fire came down from heaven. Remember how when Jesus returned, it's just like a word? Well, here it's just fire. Fire came down from heaven. This was God's demonstration. The fire didn't come from the armies of the saints that were gathered around there. They didn't have weapons to engage in battle. The fire didn't even come from within the holy city, as if God had some massive cannons or some type of you know, artillery there or whatever that he could destroy the armies that come against them. It's not as if uh, man is doing this at all. Fire came down from heaven. This is God's establishment. This is the way he wants it to be. And those who are worshiping him, he will protect. And those who are truly converted, those who have lived through millennium, some of them a thousand years old plus, however old they were when the millennium started. Can you imagine? That's, that's a pretty glorious thing. Although the way I feel, you know, at 72, is I'm not sure I want to try the thousand thing. But anyway, the, the power is from God. Man doesn't have anything to do with this. This is not our battle. It's his. Stand still and see the salvation of God. No better demonstration than this. And what's happened? But fire came down and consumed them. Done. Over. No bodies to pick up. No dead. No blood up to the horse's bridles. Nothing. It's just, they're gone. Bang, gone. Every enemy, gone. And all of these who came to oppose him. Can you imagine a, a multitude as much as the sands of the sea must have stretched on for miles upon miles upon miles upon miles? And in one instant, gone. All of their army, everything. And Lucifer's left there standing by himself. You know, he doesn't even have the beast and the false prophet to be with him because they're already in the lake of fire where he's going to be in just a couple minutes. Verse 10, and. Right, so, and they marched, but fire came down and consumed them. Verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them, Lucifer, Satan, the serpent, the dragon, who had deceived them. He's the one that was behind all of this. It's not just their own rebellion. It's led by the deception of the devil. But you give in to that. You're still accountable. Even though Eve was deceived, she was still accountable. And so, it's not, I, I, it was a mistake. No, it's no mistake. You knew what was right. You just didn't do it. The one who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of... I didn't even say who does this. 
In the other one, it says, and an angel came down and threw the beast and the false prophet. We don't even know who does this. He's just thrown there. Maybe the Christ. Maybe David. Maybe an angel. We don't know. But he is thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. And now normally we just call it the lake of fire. But the fire and the sulfur is mentioned in several passages. And the idea here is the best thing that you can relate this to is molten lava. It is a, an, a massive pool of molten lava. Not with the skin over top of it so that it's gray but it's still molten on the inside and moving. No, this is absolute molten lava. The smell of sulfur is overwhelming. And so that is where this idea comes from, this lake of fire. And notice the next phrase. Where the beast and the false prophet were? No. That's, yeah, that's okay, but it doesn't say it right. Where the beast and the false prophet are. And the idea is that they had not been consumed. They've been there for a thousand years and they still are there. Now, you couldn't take anything and throw it on top of a pool of molten lava. It wouldn't exist for even an instant. It's gone. It's vaporized. But not here. They're still there. Where the beast and the false prophet are. Right? And they will be tormented occasionally for the first five minutes. No. Day and night. Forever. And the idea of forever is a Greek phrase, um, age, of, age upon age, and it just means a time that goes beyond what we can measure. And so into timelessness, into eternity. And so we call this eternal fire. Eternal damnation. All right, so that's what Lucifer will face. Now, what did Jesus say in, um, I forgot to write the reference down. Um, it's in Matthew 25, I believe, somewhere in there. He says that hell was prepared for Satan and the fallen angels. So they're there. That's what it was prepared for. But unfortunately, there's going to be a multitude of people that are going to be added. And that's what we'll see in our next, the next lesson. Won't that be exciting? Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about God set up a throne on the earth. All right? And this is not a throne of grace. It's a throne of judgment. Yes, sir. Uh, I think it's interesting. Liberalism has always said that man's problems is the environment. <laughs> yeah. In a thousand years, of perfect environments have shown no problems in man's heart. Problem is man. Yeah. It's sin. It's the fall of nature. Yeah. And the only way to get past that is to be born again. Yeah. So. Yeah. If we just had a perfect atmosphere, yeah. well, we, we'll have it. Yeah. You're right. And that's, that's the whole idea behind so much, you know, the, uh, the new goddess in town is Mother Earth. <laughs> that's, that's what everybody has to bow to worship. And um, 
it's not going to get you saved. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word.